0: This is Alfonso Davies, and you're listening to BR Football Ranks. Welcome to Be Our Football Ranks and the transfer window across Europe has slammed shut, as they would say on Sky Sports News. We're here to take a look at some of the biggest deals across the window and the clubs who have done the best out of it. My name is Jack Collins and I'm joined as ever by the rank god, Mr. Sam Tai. Hello, mate. And our transfer titan, Mr. Dean Jones. How are you doing, Jack? Yeah, Not too bad. Are you okay, Dean? Obviously, your um, your period of expertise is coming to an end. Oh, thank God for that. You know, um, I can put my feet up
1: now, can't I, for two months? You can. Um, you know, I get trolled every single day. Um, everybody tells me I don't know what I'm talking about. Maybe they got a point. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I don't think I did too bad during the transfer window. Obviously, at least the Sancho nonsense is open for, over for the time being until they talk January. About being, yeah, coming around again in January, which I'm sure won't
0: happen. Yeah, and while Dean Jones season is over, Sam, Sam's Time season is about to begin again.
2: Yeah, I think I think what we'd all like to see is haircut season to begin again, because my hair is looking like a palm tree right now. My goodness me, you guys see the social cuts in this video. You are going to laugh. And Jack told me earlier that he can now eat his own hair. It's so long. So really, yeah, we
0: all need to get our ass in gear. Yeah, I've been wearing mine as a kind of Gareth Bale bun for, for quite a lot of the weekend, which is definitely about time that you need to get it cut. Look, transfer deadline day is over. But there is big transfer news still on the horizon, boys, and it does break my heart a little bit to announce that this is going to be this, the penultimate, the second last ever episode of BR Football Ranks. And whilst the chapter of this story is ending, it is very much not the firm closer story. So there'll be more on that at the end of the show and, of course, more next week in our last ever episode. Um, but very much keep your eyes and ears peeled for news from us. But before we go into all of those things, Sam, let's kick things off with some hot takes.
2: Right, we are. I think we're about to see some enforced evolution from Liverpool. Um, I think we're about to see it. We, we, frankly, we have to see it because, you know, if you're listening to this on on the Wednesday, then it is three days since possibly the most bizarre weekend of Premier League football ever. Definitely the most bizarre Sunday. It started with Leicester losing three 0 to West Ham, and everyone went. Okay, Sunday's a bit drunk. Never mind. I'm sure it will recover for the afternoon game. Man United got tonked by Tottenham. I think people went, okay, doesn't get any more weird than that. Well, hold my beer because Liverpool went and lost 7-2 to, to Aston Villa. And that's the reigning Premier League champions conceding seven goals to a side who stayed up by one point on the final day of last season. And the scary thing is like it could easily have been 10, and no one would have batted an eyelid. They would just, they were just run through. They were destroyed. And there's a lot to unpack here, and I'll just give. Villa their credit first before we delve into Liverpool's issues because they do obviously a team that scores seven goals like they've played well right and Grealish was the best player on the pitch Ross Barkley looked like he was so so good Ross Barkley looked like wait well, he looked like a truck driving through the midfield to be frank didn't he Watkins scored a hat-trick first player to score a hat-trick against Liverpool for about 10 years they just pulled the defense all over and Villa it looked like a physical mismatch now for most sides in the Premier League both with regard to speed and physicality and that means that they are very ready to take what looks like quite an exciting step forward for them and their early form three wins out of three is super exciting but hey liverpool on the other hand you know for a a seven two scoreline to happen one team has to play brilliantly but the other team has to be disgustingly bad right because these scorelines they don't happen unless both of those elements are at play i've seen a lot of chat about the liverpool high line and how it didn't work and how it got caught out in behind over and over again. And it's true. It's true. It did. But, you know, Liverpool aren't looking to ditch that high line because it's been super important for them for the last couple of years. One of the problems here is that Adrian is nowhere near Alisson and they can't really afford to play that high up if Adrian is in goal. But the other thing is teams are starting to figure out how to get joy from Liverpool. So it wasn't just Villa that have done this. Remember Leeds on the opening day. Break the press and keep your wide forwards nice and high up the pitch, stood on the halfway line, pinning those fullbacks back and getting them in behind with early balls. Jack Harrison scored a lovely goal, exploiting that space behind Trent Alexander-Arnold. So Leeds did a bit of it. Arsenal did a bit of it. And then Villa just go at it and at it and at it. Now I'm going to mention a former podcast guest again, the one we always mention. You know who I mean, right?
0: Of course,
2: Harry Brooks. It's Harry Brooks. He came on and he was talking about the evolution of top teams and how they constantly need to evolve and change. Now he was actually talking about Liverpool's front line that day, talking about the Salamane Firmino dynamic. But it, it's a it's a it's a concept that applies across the board. Teams have started to figure out where Liverpool are weak. Three teams in succession have tried to exploit that to varying degrees of success. And finally, Liverpool have lost the game because of it. Every other team is going to try this now. Every other team is going to try and keep their wide forwards nice and high, to pick on that space in behind, to work that gap between Trent and Joe Gomez and see what they can do against Adrian, who is frankly rubbish now we need to see some evolution from Liverpool Klopp will not sit there and let this happen again this has happened three times he's got an international break to stew over it the film to pour over and he is going to come up with something else and that's why he's an elite coach so there's nothing to worry about there long term for Liverpool we are now finally in a position where we're going to see the Reds change just a little bit because what they've been
0: doing for the last two years for the first time is not working yeah, I mean, this is what happens, right? People yeah. start to run out of, of gas. I mean, Liverpool were talking about bringing in a goalkeeper, Dean, and it didn't materialise. Cueven Keller has sitting in there as as third choice, and he's got to be thinking with Alisson out for eight weeks, I might get a shot here because Adrian, again, you know, was good at West Ham uh, and did, did fine and has gone to Liverpool as second choice goalkeeper and since then has really struggled. Uh, we saw it in the Athletic game last year. We're seeing it again now. We saw it you know, over and over again. And that's when you start to lose confidence. And as a goalkeeper, that can be absolutely brutal. We saw it with Loris Karius as well, that when when things get on top of you, it's very difficult to recover as a goalkeeper. What would you do in this situation? Because... That you can't just stick your third-choice goalkeeper in and hope for the best, or do you keep faith with Adrian and hope that he can work his way through this period?
1: I would find a new solution to get Allison fit as quickly as possible. No, I would... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree. I don't think third-choice goalkeepers are usually the solution. There is a reason that they are third-choice and it's for an absolute emergency.
0: Aqueven uh, Keller is uh, very young, to be fair to him.
1: Yeah, I think... Was West Was David Martin third choice when he came in for West Ham last season? And yes. people, give him a chance. He can't be any worse. He was. Um, he had his confident. You know, one bad mistake when you're the third choice. Like nothing can go wrong. Nothing can go wrong because it's the only chance you're ever going to get. And as soon as things do go wrong, you're in big trouble. So I would stick with Adrian, despite the fact. He clearly isn't that reliable. Um, I'm not sure he's rubbish, like like Sam says. Yeah, I thought that was a bit harsh. It can't be rubbish to, <laughs> to have become Liverpool's goalkeeper, uh, even at this point. But um, I do always think it's a little bit risky to then skip over Adrian and go to the one below him. Um, so I don't imagine that that's going to be the solution.
0: All right. What's your hot take this week, DJ?
1: Well, I wanted to talk about Edinson Cavani because it was obviously a transfer that caught everybody by surprise. Um, including me. And look, my initial reaction was the same as everybody else's. And, and this, when it began to break that it was going to be possible and likely, I text you to saying, what a panic up. Six months they've had to come up with a striker. They went till deadline to sign someone who's been available the whole time and was injured for most of last season. Um, and I think that you know, judging by my timeline, that's what everybody was saying at the time. But as I was thinking, that, I thought, actually, I better actually do my job here and find out why they are signing Cavani. Um, what am I not seeing here? So I did. I reached out to, to a source at Man United who is helpful for me. And he said, look, it's not bizarre. It's actually a really good signing on a free transfer. Warrior-like assets that he can bring to this team. He is a leader. He talked about how United perhaps need someone like Ibrahimovic to help this team right now particularly the forwards who are young and can be naive and they can suffer confidence lapses and that they perhaps needed someone with who's older and is a has the experience to kind of get them through difficult moments Um, I of course said yeah, but you could have done this a while ago and he said well wages was a big issue and uh, the thing with Cavani was he, he was earning over 300 grand a week at PSG and United weren't willing to do that and over time they've they've managed to come to a solution whereby Cavani didn't perhaps get the offers that he really wanted from elsewhere and that Man United came in late as a, as a good offer for him and he's been willing to fit into United's pay structure so that he isn't earning anything quite close to 300 grand and that he's earning the sort of money that when the rest of the lads in the dressing room hear about it, they're not going to be bothered because they're all earning pretty similar money for that caliber of player. Um, So I don't think it's going to annoy anyone. And I think more than anything, United just needed a forward and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, so I was told is is delighted to have somebody like Cavani in there. Some people talking about Cavani like as a mug, like he's not. And, you know, this is Edison Cavani, like at any other time. You would be delighted to have a striker like this. They should be delighted to have a striker like this. Like Martial, as good as he can be, he's flaky and you can't trust him. Uh, Same with Rashford. So I think that you need somebody that can deliver. You can worry about his injury record if you want. You can moan about how much money they're paying him a week if you want. But why not just enjoy the fact that you've got Cavani?
0: Yeah, he's he's a lovely player. And uh, Sam, I mean, I think you were reasonably hot on this as well. Look, I, I don't think that he's going to be starting every game. I think they would be mad, but I think that it's a huge upgrade on Odion Agarlo as the second choice rotation nine. And, you know, it's going to be someone that you can bring on and genuinely expect to lift the club when he, when he does come on. You know, when he starts, he's going to be a leader in there. And this is a side we saw at the weekend that really lacks leaders. You know, it is lacking people to take the team by the scruff of the neck and, and accept that things aren't going okay. And Cavani can be that player.
2: I just don't really have any issues with this at all. Like Cavani is is a top 10, top 15 striker on the planet and they cost quite a lot of money in wages. Now people are talking about the agent's fees. Well, don't worry about that. The wages, don't worry. Like he's on what, 200 or something like that? Like that's it's a lot obviously, but he's one of the top 15 strikers on the planet. They cost a lot in wages. This is a fine move. If this, is, if this is your deadline day panic, well, at least you didn't sign a Galo. You signed Cavani instead. You signed a good striker for 200 grand a week, not a ridiculous one. Like it, I, I think what's happened is it's just misdirected anger because obviously over the first couple of games of the season, it's been made more and more clear that Manchester United's centre-back situation isn't that good. Manchester United's holding midfield situation isn't great either. And they didn't bring in a single number six And they didn't bring in any centre-backs. In fact, they sold one that would walk into this team right now in Chris Smalling. And I think all of that has been wrapped up and misdirected in terms of anger at Cavani because it's like, oh, well, you've just plucked Cavani out of thin air when we've got problems back there. Look, I appreciate that Man United did not have a very good summer and that they did not fill the gaps they needed to. But there is nothing wrong with signing Edinson Cavani on deadline day because he's very good at
0: football. Yeah, no, that's it. I mean, look again—the Sancho thing and the fact that it's taken them all summer to try and get this deal done. And they thought that Dortmund would budge, and they didn't. It—it it, it becomes this kind of—you're right—misdirected anger. They—they they addressed the left back problem, which we said last week that they needed to address yep. in Alex Telles, who's come in, and he will be a perfectly fine addition he's a he's a very good player and and will will probably give them you know a new starting left back and competition for luke shaw when he's fit and he, luke he Shaw's ended up been... playing, like transfer
2: like what the fee was like nothing in the end yeah, like i remember a really like a couple transfer. of weeks ago they were talking about like, 27 28 million he ended up signing for like 15 or something it's like you can't say no to Telesh for 15 million like yeah it's sure. not a <laughs> good world bit of business, meter, business isn't it but that's like that's a really good signing again what they managed to get over the line on deadline day no qualms with it it's just about what they left on the table that's the problem problem
0: but hey don't brush tell and cavani with that brush like it's not fair yeah exactly man united's transfer window wasn't great but bringing in alex tash and and edison cavani on deadline day is good business and you know some stars for the future as well now whether that's a, a good spend of money and a good use it is a different question when the the monetary values over sancho were the things that were holding it up but it looks like they've got two really sharp talents as well and it's something for the future so i think there's no, it's not been perfect, United, and it's not been good enough probably for for what they are and what they want to be. But that anger, you're right, is, is completely misdirected. And let's go from anger to love. Hey. Uh, it's time for, for Jesse's I loved section this week. And this week, I loved the fact that Alberto Kifuentes from Cadiz has hung up his gloves. Now, 41-year-old goalkeeper, he was the oldest player in La Liga. He made two appearances and then retired promptly and become part of the coaching staff at cadiz and now i think this is brilliant and it seems a bit weird but what he's done is he's had a 22-year career um started at 19 and these two appearances in la liga were the first two appearances in the top division for his country of that entire career. He has spent his life traversing the lower leagues in Spain. He did once move away to go to Pias Gliwice in Poland before coming back to Cadiz. He's become club captain, led them back to the top division made two appearances, one of which was a clean sheet in his first ever game in La Liga. And then he was like, right, I'm I'm done now. <laughs> <laughs> I've i fulfilled my ambitions, I've fulfilled my destiny. I'm gonna go and become part of the coaching staff. And it just really made me smile. And you know, it was just just a nice story of someone really getting to the the peak of what their career always wanted to be. He he did have a spell with Mallorca in La Liga early in his career, but never made an appearance. Um, and so this was making that appearance, getting that clean sheet and, and playing his last game, he, his second game. He lost 3-1 uh, to Sevilla at home, but that would have been his last ever game. And he, he plays it at Canidi Stadium as their club captain, retired, became coaching their staff. Just what a story uh, and what a guy. So things I loved, okay. Alberto Kifuendis. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, and we're, we're switching emotions like nobody's business at the moment. It's time for Melon of the Week. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's melon of the week is Harry Maguire. Yes, of Fair enough. Fair oh, enough.
1: I mean, there was not really much competition apart from all his teammates. Um, what a performance um, against Tottenham that Harry Maguire pulled out the bag. I don't know what was the worst aspect of it, to be completely honest. So I'm not sure what was the exact moment that I decided he was going to get the melon, but it was definitely early on in the game. And when Ndombélé scored, as a result of Harry Maguire pulling Luke Shaw out of the way, that he couldn't, so that he couldn't make the
0: challenge. In the what party. is he doing? I was thinking about this, and, and at the time, I was like, "It's rubbish defending from everyone." And then it just became, "Nope, it's just rubbish defending from Maguire." It's just just Maguire. It
1: header. It was the header. It was the, ball, yeah, the headers. headers. Like, scramble, oh my god, headers. Yeah, it was. And you know, he's just he has games like this, and you're just like, "Where are these coming from?" From an international footballer these games should be like literally one-offs and they're not, are they? They're not. And I, I think that Harry Maguire really is becoming a bit of a melon figure in the football world because he was supposed to be a solution for Man night and he's become a real problem. You know, he's that's not that wasn't even the only bad thing
2: he did in that game because he gave away that free kick, didn't he? Mm-hmm. And then didn't stop the quick free kick, so Kane was able to play straight through him into Son to score through the gap that he was supposed to be in. So if you give away that foul, you stand on the ball and you get a yellow if you have to. Yeah. You don't just like trot away.
1: Like and I then felt just like let Kane that, knew I mean, what he was doing as well. I thought that Kane knew that Maguire was going to do that because he didn't. You know, he went to ground pretty softly, but knew so quickly. You saw his eyes look for the space behind. Mm-hmm. And it was Maguire's gap, obviously, and Maguire was doing nothing to sprint back. And I felt Harry Harry Kane's seen that before in England duty, hasn't it? He, he knew it, that yeah. that gap was still going to be there. And it was. Everything yeah.
2: we've spoken about all happened in the first eight minutes of the
1: game. Yeah. And he didn't get much better, it. let's put it that way. And he got through the game somehow, but <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I don't know, I think. People worry about Lindelof um, and talking about the fact that Harry Maguire needed a partner. And I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know if Harry Maguire might need a break at some point from this team to just watch from the sidelines and
0: see, see how games are panning out around him. Look, the most expensive defender in history made club captain so quickly after his arrival. And there was all these rumours about Bruno and him having a bust up. In the change room at halftime, and that's why Bruno was subbed, and all of these different options. But it just feels like a car crash there, and and McGuire is quickly becoming the figurehead of that. And you know, while we're on the the subject of quoting former guests, I enjoyed uh, Musa Kwanga's tweet at the weekend. We said the greatest thing about football is that there's always room for one more in the clown car, and. <laughs> And it was, it it felt like that, you know, that Maguire has been, was kind of heralded as this figure to sort things out at Manchester United. Not here, not here for the record. No, not here, but it is becoming more and more obvious that he is probably not that figure. I
1: actually think off the field he is. Apparently, like I've, Obviously, I do speak to people who tell me about what what it's like around the club, and they said he genuinely did make a massive impact to bringing the squad together off the field. And particularly, they went away on some team bonding trip at some point, and Harry Maguire was made a real noticeable difference to the way that everybody bonded on that trip. And they came back, and it was it it was really positive. But I agree with you, like on the field, not much, you can't see much evidence of it
0: yeah okay right after the break we are going to be doing a ranking of the teams who won the transfer window and i'm actually very very excited for this don't go anywhere we'll be right back welcome back to be our football ranks where it is time for the big ranking and i hand you over to the rank god sam Tai.
2: yes thanks mate well look i know i say this every week but this was genuinely really difficult and i'm ranking the top five clubs who essentially I feel had the best transfer windows over the course of a, what was a very, very long summer, uh, lots to take into account. And I've got uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I've got nine honourable mentions, which I'm Jeez. obviously not going to, I mean, this is, I was so conflicted through all of this. And I, I made a very late change into, in fifth place as well. So uh, you can tell where I am with this one, but I'm going to launch into number five and it's Arsenal. And they managed to vault into the top five basically because on the last day they managed to achieve what, let's be honest, we didn't actually think they were going to be able to do, did we? They actually paid money for Thomas Partey and they signed him. And for 45 million, Thomas Partey, is a phenomenal acquisition. He is such a good midfielder, so complete, such a good passer, such a good tackler, covers the ground, but can really dictate play in there. And, you know, it feels a little bit like Arsenal have been lacking a little something in attack over the last couple of weeks, so, or maybe the last couple of months, really. I mean, they've, they feel well drilled. They feel like they play good circuit-based football under Arteta, but they genuinely lack a little bit of creativity. And Thomas, a lot of people will think that he is a, a bit of a bruiser, which is wrong. He is going to add so much to that midfield. And when you add him to what they already got, because Gabriel, Gabriel's solid, man. 20, 27 odd million for Gabriel. Strong signing. It's the signing that Man United should have made. It's the signing that Chelsea should have made. Like, let's be honest, the Champions League club could have picked him up at, at Arsenal's expense. That's a really good deal. So us back on loan and Willian, free transfer, good wage, but like a good, a very useful player. What Arsenal have managed to basically produce or procure this summer has been, has been very good. And it was on the cusp and then they got Thomas and I had to pay it the respect it's it's due.
0: Yeah. I think this is about right, mate. I, I think that Thomas elevates this window into something very, very special. And, where where this is and, and where how Arsenal got this done, Dean, is of interest to me because they've always struggled with cash flow and I know they got a couple of players off the books yesterday in terms of loans and, and people going out, but, but we were always saying that if they you know, have to pay money up front, then Arsenal would struggle. So where did this £45 million come from?
1: Yeah, I think, like you say, they, they knew that they had to offload people and they had to make space in the midfield as well in terms of the wage structure. And I think that getting rid of Guendouzi was a really big thing. <laughs> they've been trying for the entire summer and couldn't find anywhere to get rid of him. Uh, I'm not sure that that alone has been enough for them to sign Thomas Partey, but um, they knew they had cash. Like I've said before, like it's part of the reason they want to get rid of Erzil was because they need to get rid of his 350 grand. Like they have this this wage structure that needs to be gone. Like people can't be earning that kind of money anymore. So space just needed to be opened up for somebody like Partey to come in and earn big money. So um, signing him, like triggering his release clause, I think they hesitated over it for a long time because they were, for some reason, switched to Hussein Aue and then didn't go through with that. And, you know, whether it was because Liam was stubborn or not, I don't know what happened there. But it was strange that Partey was the, the prime candidate to come in since like February. And then like four weeks ago, there's like, actually, no, no, that's not our priority. We're going for this. I don't know. Maybe it was all a smokescreen because they've got the man that ultimately Arteta wanted from day one. So I think that we do have to be careful as well we're reporting on Arsenal because I, obviously I was burned on Pepe. When the kind of briefings come out of clubs and they kind of you do get an idea of what can and can't become possible. I am definitely cautious now about Arsenal because I said they didn't they couldn't afford Pepe, and they've managed to do it with that Klarna deal. Um, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but now with with Thomas Partey, they they have managed to pay up. And you know, it's a really, really good signing that is that
0: genuinely going to transform their season. Yeah, for sure. Um, Sam... This is this is exciting, I think, in a load of ways. But potentially for me, the most exciting thing about Thomas coming in is how Arteta now deals with this midfield pairing slash if he changes it back to a three and and how he mixes things up tactically in the middle there. Because with Ceballos, it's actually quite a creative force there in in two progressors of the ball who are very, very good, you know, both dribbling and passing-wise. Or with Chaka in a kind of more destructive, you know, he covers Thomas's work rate and, and adds a little bit more bite I think in the middle there it gives Arteta option
2: yeah he's definitely got the options I mean they've said goodbye to Torreira um, on loan as well as Guendouzi on loan so they've they've, they've they've trimmed down their midfield selection a little bit but it's now much more to Arteta's taste and with Thomas and Sabios, you know it's not quite as defensively able as you might really really want in sort of dreamland but
0: I'd say it's pretty well balanced. Well, and I think one of them well them... they've got five at the back. So yeah, potentially I mean, yeah, you don't exactly. need that as much, right?
2: And one of the main things here is that is that Thomas as well as Ceballos, they're both pretty press resistant. So Arsenal's insistence on on playing those circuits and short circuits under Arteta and like the good football that they started playing, the good patterns, he needs midfielders that can survive and cope under pressure. And to be honest, Xhaka never passes the test long-term on that. He can have his good games. He can have his good moments, but it never really sticks. And I think Arteta has pretty much learned that. And he's bought a player in Thomas who is much more press resistant to pair with Tobias, who is also press resistant. They're in different ways as well. Tobias dribbles out of trouble. Thomas passes out of trouble. But it's such a good midfield now. I I love it.
0: Yeah, it's very exciting times at the Emirates. Okay, who's in at number four?
2: Number four is Aston Villa who, I mean, I guess with the, the, the quick start, the three wins from three, it, it kind of helps inform this a little bit. Maybe if they had started a little bit more slowly, they wouldn't have maybe catapulted themselves into this situation. But again, in terms of late signings, just, just elevating their window a little bit, Ross Barkley on loan, you know, felt like such a transformative deal. And he's made an extremely quick start um, up against Liverpool, his, uh, his, his boyhood rival club, which was interesting to see. Of course, what Barkley gives you is, yeah, sort of like a Grealish two, which is he can play with Grealish and they obviously enjoy playing together. But if Grealish is out for any reason, that would have been Villa's main concern. Well, now you have another talismanic attacking midfielder who you can sort of hang your hopes on. So that was huge for Villa. And of course, they've added Emmy Martinez, really safe pair of hands that Arsenal fans were gutted to say goodbye to. Bertrand Traore adds the speed. Matty Cash has started life in the Premier League superbly. I've been so impressed with him. And I guess the main thing, of course, is that they didn't just not lose Grealish. He signed a new five-year deal. And he's now spearheading what looks like, as I said before, like quite an exciting project. And it's, um, it's kind of feeling a bit like 2010 Villa under Martin O'Neill. It's, it's, it's young. It's homegrown. It's exciting. It counters with pace, but it's got good technical ability. And it's coached well. And it looks
0: like a really exciting team to follow this season. Do you know what my favourite thing about Matty Cash is? His hair. He's half Polish. He's eligible oh, yeah. for Poland because his grandparents on his mother's side were born in Poland. So he's oh, wow. like, he probably won't be getting into the England setup anytime soon because mm. of the amount of right backs that England have at their disposal. But he might just go and play for Poland, which, yeah. which should be quite fun. Could like, do, it's yeah? Just a fun thing, anyway. Sorry, that's just a random nugget. No, no, I mean, I mean, it must
2: be weird for the Polish to go from you know Lucas Pishek to uh, Matthew Cash. Um, but yeah, I mean, fair enough. I mean, he is like, uh, even though he's very good, he's probably only the seventh best English right back in on the circuit right now. So he might have to go to Poland. But quick start from him and and quick start from all of them really it kind of maybe informs this ranking a bit. But really good business mm. that's created a, like has a, allowed Villa to take what looks like quite a big step forward like
0: very quickly after just surviving quite young players as well you yeah. know cash is 23 martinez yeah. is 28 but that's quite young for a goalkeeper 25 for chari 24 for watkins and yeah. um, you said about his hat trick earlier you failed to mention it was a perfect hat trick which I thought was a, which was, which is a nice touch for making your first first hat in the Premier League. Mm, yeah. um, but there was a lot said about twenty eight million for a Championship player, and albeit scoring twenty six goals in the Championship last season, the second top scorer behind Alexander Mitrovic. Um, and it was, it was a lot said. But he's obviously worked with Dean Smith before at Brentford, and he was comfortable that that's what he wanted as a centre forward, and that's how he wanted to play it. And it's, you know obviously starting to pay dividends already. And suddenly, you know, if he carries on at this kind of rate, then three and three is not bad for a start in the Premier League for a player who had not yet played at this level.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, there's always an element of risk attached to spending that much money on an unproven Premier League player. Like, regardless if he's in the Championship, he's in Serie A, he's in Portugal, whatever, there's always an element of risk to it. But Watkins scored a lot of poachers' goals for Brentford last season, but he also gets involved in the build-up play. And you see the amount of duels that he won against Liverpool's centre-backs on Sunday. Like, he was, he was chesting balls down and keeping them under pressure from Van Dijk and Gomez and Fabinho. I was like... He, he's kind of got an all-round game. So if you're spending a lot, obviously don't make it on someone that can just score. Give, give yourself something a little bit extra. And Watkins, despite the fact that he's not, you know, hulking and towering and huge, he's got the strength to deal with this league as well as the poacher's instinct. It, lo- it looks like a really good signing.
1: There's more to it as well, I think, that, you know, not just if they had a great transfer window, but they've had real belief in their project, and they've had belief in Dean Smith, and Dean Smith is a really good manager and coach and there must have been a temptation at times you'd you'd imagine in any other club to to think oh we'll give up on this We'll, we'll get in somebody with a bigger name who's got pedigree in the Premier League um we've seen so many other teams do it and Villa didn't do that even when they were in that scrap um and they got out of it probably because Dean Smith was as motivated as anybody to get out of that and had belief in the squad that he had um and, you know, people talking about them, Villa doing a Fulham, you know, buying players and then going straight back down. Um, and now Fulham are basically dreaming of doing a Villa because of the turnaround that, that Villa have had since keeping faith in, in the project they were trying to build is reaping the rewards that you should get, that you do get from longevity. If you can just see through those tough times, like often there is a pattern to come from it. And this is why I... It does annoy me so often when, when people just give up on a project and get rid of the manager and start selling players and a whole new layer of, of assets come in and they're just not going to mould with the last lot that were left over. Um, so I think there are a lot of lessons to be learned from what Aston Villa are doing. And clearly they don't look like they're going to struggle this season.
0: No, they also have money and are not afraid to spend it. That's 75 million dropped this window, plus a new bumper five-year contract for Jack Grealish, which... Wasn't really mentioned in there, Sam. Even though that's potentially the biggest, the biggest I, one of all. I gave it a little mention. I, I made sure to shoe it in. But um,
2: yeah, it's uh, it's 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 the big news, and it's what keeps that project alive. It's what it's what attracts Ross Barkley. Ross Barkley doesn't join on loan unless Jack Grealish signs a new five-year deal. You know, some of these signings probably wouldn't wouldn't have given it such a serious thought if Grealish doesn't stick around and become that figure for it. So. It's belief in the projects and it's, it's belief in themselves. But like, <laughs> Grealish was the big domino, wasn't he? Belief in the talisman as much as anything else. Who's in at three then, Sam? At three is Tottenham Hotspur. Ooh. Now this, this I had initially at four, just below Villa. Uh, we well, haven't got one to be honest. But then I said, mate, they've got they signed Gareth Bale. Don't be stupid. Put him at least third. So yeah, I mean, Bale is obviously the headline. We haven't seen him play yet, but he's been one of the most effective cheerleaders I think I've ever seen in my life. Uh, the camera zooms to him every other goal, and he's always going, yay, and clapping and smiling. And I don't know if it's just his presence that's lifted everybody else, or if it's if it's Mourinho working magic, or if it's the fact that actually yeah, they've got a good team and they've added some really good players to it. And the, the two in particular here that have, we've actually already seen is Hoybier. The first game he played against Everton was dreadful. But apart from that, he's, he's grown and he's become fit and he's become a really good midfield enforcer for them. And Regulon. Regulon is a brilliant left back. He's, he's so good. He's, he, he hoovers up the ground, he dominates the flank, and he attacks with such gusto and such personality. And he's, these players have really changed the feel of Tottenham, Hoybier. And regular and Bale will go one more and do that again. I think. Obviously, Joe Hart's also come in uh, as a backup goalkeeper, and Carlos Vinicius—they signed the backup striker they needed to. Vinicius is is okay. I mean, I'd say he's like a bit like a rough-edged Christian Benteke back at Villa. Like, there's a lot of. There's a lot of power and thrust to his game. Maybe not so much finesse, but he is a, he is exactly the type of number nine that Mourinho needs. So if you tick off those, like what did Tottenham need going in? They needed a holding midfielder. Got it. They needed another forward that could really attract attention. Got it. In bail. Reguilon, Sol's left back. Vinicius, he's the backup striker. And I saw yesterday, Dean, I don't know if you can, you know, shed some more light on it. It might be done by the time this goes out, but Joe Rodon or Joe Rodon, I don't know how to pronounce it. Sorry, from Swansea. Uh, was in discussions with Tottenham on deadline day. And of course, that window is still open for championship clubs.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that that is something they're still looking to do as we're recording. It hasn't been um, finalised, but definitely that's a player that they've been looking at for quite some time. I mean, it's only just materialised, but again, I I checked that one out yesterday to see how it was. And they were like, yeah, we've actually been looking at him for quite a long time, to be honest. And we just managed to keep it off radar until now.
0: Yeah, um, it's quite a strange season last year for Swansea where it was two big injuries kept him out and he didn't play in the in the kind of playoff run-in where Swansea went on that mad charge to the, yeah. to the playoffs. Um, but he's someone who they've obviously trusted. They've given him the four shirt at 22 years old. He's played a fair amount of games. Yeah. And, it, you know, But they, the valuations were miles off what they were talking about yesterday. You know, Swansea value him at 18 million and, and Daniel Levy was like, yeah, we could pay seven. Yeah, but that's just... <laughs> Daniel Levy, isn't it? <laughs> someone, you haven't mentioned Matty Doherty and I'm sad.
2: Oh, crap. Yeah. And Doherty. Right. And and him who I mean, in previous podcasts, I've talked about as, you know, one of my favourite deals, one of the best deals in the Premier League window. And I <laughs> should, not, should not have left him out of my volley of names. So apologies. But it only makes it better. I mean, Doherty yeah. and, and Reculon as, as a pair of fullbacks, Hoybier in the middle, Bale up top and Vinicius to back things up. I mean, it's just it's that's a very good window. Dean, you said as I started talking, you thought they'd be number one.
1: Well, I think that they're a contender for number... You know, you said you had them four and then you moved them up to three. I mean, there's definitely an argument that Tottenham can't have done much better than they've done. Um, can't have improved the squad much better. Um, Harry Redknapp on deadline day was talking about Tottenham and said he sees them as potential title winners. He's looking at that squad and saying Tottenham can win the league because it's going to be a weird season. I don't agree with him on that, but look, they should certainly be challenging for third. You know, they should be up there now. You know, they should really be better than Man United because they've got a better coach and manager than Man United have, and they've got as good, if not a better squad. And they should definitely be challenging Chelsea as well because, well, they've just beaten them. And also they've got, again, as good a squad I'd say as Chelsea. Um, For right now, I think Chelsea have probably built better for the next few years to come, but for right here, right now, Tottenham should definitely be pushing for third and I think that's why I just thought they are a contender for me to have have won this transfer window just because they have improved every area that I thought they would and it's quite funny that when I started speaking to people at the start of the window they were like to be honest I think they'll get Hoybier maybe a right back and that'll be it might get a striker on loan and now you look at the business they've done and Daniel Levy as as why well, has had the summer of his life you know I, mean, I know it's been a long transfer window the longest of all time um but he's made the most of it that's for sure
2: yeah yes he has
1: i mean he's the top three they're top three they're uh they're they're in the three
2: top clubs here so that's a that's a lot of respect paid to the work they've done Mm -hmm. uh but i guess i just found two to be slightly more slightly more intriguing and and better i'll I'll, i mean i'll start with with two it's everton and we talk you know you talk about their dean like mentioning the the idea of kind of like you know, what, what can you do in the window to, to elevate your chances of achieving something special? Can Tottenham put themselves in, in title contention with what they've done? The answer is maybe. I mean, currently top of the Premier League. So again, does it inform my decision a little bit subconsciously? Potentially, but who, like Everton have have done have made moves that have drastically enhanced their chances of having an excellent season. And the start they've made has only, has only really rubber-stamped that. I mean, Carlo Ancelotti is a sensational manager and he's now been given four players that can really elevate this team on deadline day. We saw Ben Godfrey come in from Norwich. I really like that. I was looking at the Everton squad heading into deadline day and thinking the only real weak point they've got here is Yerry Mina, who is um, unreliable at center half. And if they could just pick up somebody else because Mason Holgate, you know, gets a few injuries, then that'd be really good. Bang. They get one of the quickest center halves that I've seen play in years go and play, go and play and complete that defensive line. And you add that to the fact that Ducores joins, the fact that Alan, he's so good, Alan is going to do so much for that midfield. And of course, the marquee name of James Rodriguez, who they ended up signing for free, for free, James, yeah, for free. Oh my God. I mean, the guy is just liquid. He is class. And like anybody who had forgotten just how good James was, was set straight in the first couple of performances. He is so so good. And Everton for me on my like my number one. Like, if I have to watch any Premier League team at the weekend at the moment, I choose Everton above everybody else. Like, I just have to see them. And these signings are a major part of that. They have changed the
0: face of this side. Yeah, I think that's absolutely spot on. And the one thing you haven't addressed there is, and then maybe we, we talk about teams who who want to challenge for the top four for the title. And we talked earlier about the importance of Allison to Liverpool. And now we're looking at Everton, you think actually maybe the weak point is, is Jordan Pickford, who's actually come in for some stick over the last couple of years. And then just as the window closed, they bring in Robin Olsen on loan from Roma, um, which was just one of those deals where it doesn't necessarily mean that I think Robin Olsen is suddenly going to come in and start all these games, but that is proper pressure. On Pickford, that is not a goalkeeper coming in to go and sit on the bench. That is a keeper who come in and, and will want to challenge Pickford for that starting role. And I, I think that that's exactly what he needs. And Pickford has been reasonably comfortable. In, in his role at Everton for, for such a long time now that it feels like he hasn't had any pressure to deliver. And when mistakes have happened, he hasn't had anyone who's going to come in and, and challenge him for that jersey. Now he does. And now he needs to up his game if he's going to continue holding that, that number one jersey for Everton. And I think that will improve them immensely.
2: Yeah. Robin Olsen isn't like, he's not an incredible goalkeeper, but that, that credible challenge is important. It's what we talked about with, with Manchester United, De Gea and Dean Henderson, like Sergio Romero, like I know all the United fans love him. He's not a credible challenger to De Gea's throne. His wife wife listens to this podcast and she's going to tweet about this. (laughs) But but Dean Henderson absolutely is. So that's what, that's the pressure you need to apply to these positions to make them better. That's exactly what needs to happen. And you're right. Pickford probably is on paper the weak point now and Olsen I find it interesting just because you wind it back to summer 2018 World Cup quarterfinal England Sweden Pickford and Olsen are on the same pitch in the quarterfinal as England play Sweden and now their colleagues pushing each other in what looks like a surprise Champions League chase for Everton if if form is to go by I mean they've got Liverpool after the international break and that'll inform us that'll inform us as to what this team are really really
0: made of if they win that hype train I takes think off. you've done them a huge disservice they're calling them Champions League contenders this, this is a title contender <laughs> team <laughs> this Everton team are going all the way you heard it here first the ever winning the league um, but it's. Um, <laughs> but no I think you're right this, is, this has been a remarkable window for them and I also think it's one of those ones where you look at their outgoings and they've kind of cleared out a fair bit of deadwood as well you know they, they've managed to shift off players that weren't working for them and and in Moise Keane who we were really excited to see in the Premier League and we were really happy when he signed and thought he'd be a really good addition we thought Ancelotti was going to go with that 4-4-2 and he was going to be a part of it and it just hasn't worked out it's just one of those things and you saw him trying and trying and trying to bring him into games even in games that. Didn't necessarily feel like he fit because you, you know you want to give people like that a chance, players like that an opportunity to show what they can do. And him shifting off to, to PSG is it, just one of those ones that allows everyone to kind of breathe a little bit more, and Angelotti to play his formation without worrying about upsetting players, mm. and it gives Moise Keane another chance to to go and make his stamp somewhere else. And I, I think that's important as well. We also saw one of the most heartwarming transfers.
2: Uh, as a result of Everton's offloading, which was Theo Walcott returns to Southampton on loan and takes his old shirt number.
0: Yeah, nice. And it love was that. just,
2: its I loved it. I really did. I mean, it's been over a decade since Walcott left Southampton. He's been on quite the journey. Hasn't really lived up to, to the to the, the pressure and the expectation that we put on his shoulders, which is a shame, but he's, he's back home now and he's wearing his old 32 shirt and I love it. So Everton, you've nailed your incomings. And you've also made me very happy with your outgoings.
0: And a shout out to a friend of the pod, John Joe Kenny who's returned and is now the, you know, the contender to, to Seamus Coleman's <laughs> shirt, which is nice because Seamus Coleman needs a rotator in there and it didn't work out last year with with all their loan options and things. And, and ultimately you see, you know, Jibril Sidibe didn't, didn't come in and do what they wanted him to do. Jojo Kenny was playing in a difficult time for Schalke and, and still made a quite a, a good name for himself out there. And he's come back home to to challenge Seamus Coleman, who's the oldest, you know, member that's got the captain and you know that's a, I think that's a nice one as well. It allows people to rotate in those positions. But
2: look at look how good Coleman's been to start the season. Like he's feeling the same pressure that Pickford has now been put under from Kenny. This is this is a competitive squad and they're all gunning. They're going a hundred percent. This is exactly what you need. Okay, right. Who's in it? Number one then, Sam. So it completes an all Premier League top five. I was going to say
0: you Prem face, which,
2: which I honestly like. I didn't, I didn't do on purpose. I didn't plan for. Uh, you know, I didn't force it. But this is just honestly i know we were t- we were told that like you know no one had any money and then the premier league teams by and large just completely ignored the memo they definitely didn't get it they just carried on spending didn't they i mean we're talking about clubs here that have spent a lot of money and they've brought in quite a high volume of quality players and to top it off is chelsea i mean chelsea 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 you know the list is timo Werner, hakim Ziyech, ben Chilwell, malang Sarr, tiago silva King Kai Havertz, the Crown Prince, and to top it all off as well, Edouard Mendy solving almost every single feasible issue they have. The only one they didn't quite get to was the Declan Rice midfield issue, but ultimately if you sign these seven players and they're all appropriately aged, they solve problem positions, two of them are elite or potentially elite talents. Man, you just you just can't, you just can't escape the fact that Chelsea have just absolutely, absolutely nailed this window and You know, I've got, I've had some worries over the first bit of the season as to whether or not Frank Lampard even really understands what Kai Havertz does. Can he, can he really get Timo Werner into the game as Leipzig did? Like he has his own problems here, but the talent acquisition part, which is all we're judging, this is unbelievable business. And just to finish it off with that, with a very good goalkeeper who, in many ways, is so different to Kepa, it just completed the puzzle for me. And look, I know it's a bit boring because you know Chelsea, what a summer! It's been the story for three months but you can't knock them off top spot. Or in my opinion, you can't just because it's a boring story. This deserves the
0: credit. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to knock it. Dean, a lot of money spent here, but it's been spent on genuine quality. Not, you know, they've not been whacking money around willy nilly It's players that they needed uh, and players that are really at the top of the game. Yeah. I mean, they always planned to
1: go big in this window and the fact that they hadn't, they obviously had the transfer ban meant that they, they didn't have the same concerns that a lot of other clubs did because they had a load of money in the bank that they hadn't been able to spend. So Chelsea actually had an advantage in the coronavirus season um, and they've definitely, definitely made the most of that because they've elevated their squad to a place that other clubs just haven't been able to because of the amount of money they've been able to spend in prime positions. I think that they will still look to revisit that Declan Rice deal. Um, They're definitely going to go back there because they know that there's still a weakness in the in the middle of the park um, and in the centre of defence that's going to need fixing. For now, they've held on to Rudiger, they've held on to Tomori. Um, I'm not really sure why both of those players are still there, because at least one of those should have gone yesterday. Um, but ultimately, a couple of clubs are trying to sign Rudiger and Chelsea just weren't answering the phone to them. They were just putting off any calls on Rudiger. And Tamori was offered a deal to West Ham, which I don't think he really fancied, to be honest. Um, so they are left with probably a few frailties just around that centre of their defence. And I think that they will still, teams will still get at them and they'll concede goals. But ultimately, if Frank Lampard can now find a way to gel those attacking players, then wow. Like, honestly, I I, I was really excited about seeing Chelsea this season and they're still a long way from from hitting the kind of um, heights that they are certainly capable of. Um, But there have been flashes of it. There have been a few flashes of it. Um, You know, Kai Havertz every now and then just does something on the ball and you're like, oh, oh, there it is. (laughs) Um, You know, so once he's playing in his proper position, once Timo Werner isn't stuck out on the left, um, and once he decides kind of like, is Mason Mount really going to play every single minute of this season or is somebody else going to rotate with him or or What's going to happen? How's this all going to merge? Lampard himself has talked about the fact that he says he's been forced to play Havertz and Werner into those roles a little bit, but um, because of Pulisic and people not being ready right now. So Chelsea, you know, after the international break, let's let's judge them after that because I don't think it's fair to judge them right now. They've been had a lot of new players coming in. They've had players coming back from injury. So let's see in a month's time what kind of Chelsea we're looking at here because there's going
0: to be some good times ahead. Yeah, I mean... Sam, we saw that front four of Hudson-Odoi, Havertz, Werner and Abraham play against Palace. Obviously, they won 4-0 in, in an absolute domination, frankly. Um, but it was, you know, there was there was a lot going on there that was plenty to be excited about. Yeah, I mean, Havertz back
2: into the number 10 position as he has been for a couple of games now. First game, Brighton on the right. Disgusting. Absolute, like, absolute r- ridiculous decision. Then he plays up front against Liverpool and they get a red card, and he withdraws him from half tie, uh, Half times, So why, why are you taking off the, the one sort of needle link player that you've got when you're going to need to construct an attack of, of two or three passes to get through Liverpool? Why have you taken Havertz off? It was really obvious that Lampard didn't really know what he was doing with Havertz, but it's only taken him about three games to figure him out. He's still not really sure what he's doing with Timo Werner. So again, this team is better on paper than it is on the pitch, but you've now. got to presume with the reps in a month's time, as Dean says... Lampard would have fully got to grips with what he's doing here. And the re readditions of someone like Ziyech and Pulisic coming back from fitness will cloud things, but also maybe make allow some more clarity here because I think he knows what he's doing with those players. Whereas, you know, you, you, you fit it together a bit better once you get to grips with Havertz and then you can put Pulisic around him. And t- I think Tammy's fine up front. Like it's, it's completely fine to continue playing Tammy Abraham up front. Dean, I don't mind Timo Werner off the left at all. They just need to be able to work the ball down the right and switch it across to the left and have Timo coming, cutting Mm -hmm. in, as Jesse Marsh would say, and feeding off those balls. Don't funnel it through Werner, funnel it through the other flank and then have
0: him finish the pieces at the end. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Sam, you said it at the start there. This is a very Premier League heavy list. And we've, we've discussed quite a lot of these, these clubs before, and especially Chelsea. We've, we've you know, talked about in detail. So I'm intri- intrigued now by your honourable mentions because I assume we're going to leave the Premier League. Four more honourable mentions from the Premier League. Four more.
2: <laughs> hey, they all did so well. So Liverpool, I left out of the top five, even though I think they, they, they struck the best deal of all of Europe, which was Tiago Alcántara for 20 to 25 million. That's the best deal anyone struck, but I don't think it was quite enough. I thought they overpaid for Jota, which is not a popular opinion. And Simacass is is okay. Add Wolves, Southampton, and Newcastle to so that list of teams that did pretty well, and then we finally leave this Great British What's Island. Villa Real, yeah. Very good. Coquelin, Pereco, as we've talked about, Kubo on loan, Foyt on loan, and Estupinian, the left-back as well from Watford. Granada did very well, obviously. Jan Herrera back on loan. Luis Mia, four and a half million. Uh, Wren, they sort of stood still, but they did really well to just continue replacing all the players that were being stolen off them. So, like, Jeremy Doku in for Rafinha, Sven Botman in for Gabriel, Gomez in for Mendy in goal. They literally just replaced Senegal's first-choice keeper, with their second-choice goalkeeper, it's like, well, go with what you know.
0: They do, yeah, but really... also they they share duties, don't they?
2: Yeah, so it's like, well, go. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, if on the way out the door, Edward, there were Edward, any recommendations to replace you? He's like, yes, my friend Alfred, he's very good. All right, we'll grab him as well. And uh, Betis, low-key Betis.
0: Yeah, low-key good, low good, good window. good window. We just didn't spend any money. Like we literally for everything that the Betis did, it was it, the whole thing was free. And I think that that is potentially the the quietest, the quietest good window of the lot. Claudio Bravo, Martin Montoya, Victor Ruiz, all in on free transfers and Juan Miranda from Barcelona on loan and a reintegration of Aitor Ruibal and Tony Sanabria, who's come back from Genoa. That's a good window. That's six Mm. in for Betis without spending a penny. I think that's really good business.
2: And I've just remembered as well that I need to mention Benfica here. Now we talked about it a little bit beforehand, but obviously they've picked up Nicolas Otamendi in the Ruben Diaz deal. They picked up Darwin Nunez from El Maria. They picked up Everton, the flying winger from Brazil. We, we remember him from the Copper America. Jan in And I'm pretty sure they loaned in jean claude Todibo uh, on deadline day. They did. Uh, and it's like, you know what? They got almost all of that for the price of Dias, which is like sweet. <laughs> Let's go. That's not bad at all, is it? But uh, they did get some outgoings as well. Obviously like Florentino Luis has gone to Monaco and Carlos Vinicius has gone to Tottenham. So They didn't get into the top five because, again, it's a bit Ren. Like, they're doing well with what they've got, but how many steps did they take forward? The top five teams that I listed, they're all, like, measurably better because of their business. And that, for me, was the the key part of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think a couple you've missed here, mate. I'm not going to lie. Napoli, I thought their business was good. You know, obviously, Osimhen's men's the headline, but they've also just not lost Koulibaly. You know, mm. everyone was saying that they were one in, one out, and, and they really weren't. They, they ended up with a, with a really strong window that I thought was was impressive. Juventus, Artur, Kulisevsky, McKenny, Morata, Chiesa, that's an incredible window.
2: I mean, I liked, I, I looked at Juve. I mean, Kulisevsky was bought in January, so I couldn't put that, I didn't want to put that in, and that, that was maybe the difference there. Yeah. Um, but Napoli was Napoli was pretty good as well. I mean like there are other like under random like random deals that I just liked like you like Inter Milan aren't here but you know meter for 40 million is well it was my favorite deal and now it's my second favorite deal behind Thiago. Justin Clivert, friend of the pod, got a loan to Leipzig on deadline day and really I think like that's that. a really smart move from Leipzig. Like Clive didn't he didn't catch fire in Rome, but he's really good and they'll reap the benefits from that.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, again, like I'm going to keep going, but Fiorentina brought in Jose Callahan on, on deadline day to go alongside Borja Valero, Jack Bonchur, uh, Bonaventura, uh, and and a couple of other bits and bobs, quiet things. You know, they made a couple of loan deals permanent in Alfred Duncan and Paul Lerola. I just think that that's good business again from them. You know, they've spent, it's what, good, 35 million? They've got 40 million back off the cuff from from selling Chiesa. And obviously that's going to be a big blow. But ultimately... I mean, that's why they're not
2: here, dude. Uh, that's that's what it is. That's why they're not here.
0: And Bayern, good window at Bayern, I thought. You know, ultimately so... they've they've done okay. They've missed out on their top target that, w- that wasn't Leroy Sane and Serginho Dest, which potentially relegates them. But they had a good window.
2: Now, what relegates them, and I, I do agree that they did some really good business, Um, what relegates them is that I felt it was too contradictory to say that Bayern were one of the top five in the window when one of their outgoings for Thiago was, I think the best deal of the entire window at their expense. So I just couldn't really justify it in my mind for them to be in the top five. If they've been the lose on the losing side of the best deal of the window.
0: Yeah. Okay. That's fair enough. I mean, PSG, I was I was looking at this earlier. Macardi, obviously the big money mover in terms of him being made permanent, but Danilo Pereira is incredibly good business. They brought in Rafinha yesterday and Moyes Keene, as we we talked about earlier, and Florenzi. I know I know you're not hot on this deal, but Florenzi has been excellent yeah i mean i relegated them from contention because rafinha spelt his name wrong on his shirt <laughs> i did I, that did annoy me although i did get a good tweet out of it this morning so um rafinha has evolved into rafael
2: <laughs> yeah he's put rafael on his back and i really don't understand what that is i mean closer association with a ninja turtle potentially could be a good pr move i don't know what happened there well, that sounds a bit more french way. doesn't
1: he the Does vinicius jr always have Vinny jr written on his back or is that brand new uh, that seems new as well. That was, I've noticed that I was like, Vinny Jr., can we just go with like short? Can we just write whatever we
0: want now? Yeah, I mean, I mean yes, very Hulk. Hulk. His name is not Hulk, mate. <laughs> at a point in the future, I'm excited to rank the best squad number changes for this new season, uh, but it's um, it's not going to be one for today. So we can talk about names on shirts being bad at, at the same time. So we've yeah. got a, an episode lined up there at some point. But yeah, um, I, I there were a couple there, Sam. Uh, I thought that, that maybe we were, we're slightly missed out. I thought PSG uh, have had a really good window. Actually, I'm, they've done I'm, really, I'm really well.
2: Hot. They've done really good barrel scraping haven't they they've had a different window to what they've usually had usually they just spend tons and obviously the pandemic has hit them and they've had to rethink their strategy a little bit and they've done pretty well I would say I mean Pereira for sure that's Uh, my deal deal of the window just wasn't Danilo Pereira it wasn't quite enough to uh to move the needle for me but I do appreciate what they've done
0: okay all right well we've got a couple of roulette questions uh, to come after the break uh, and we'll inform you some um, some big moves for us We'll be back very shortly. Take it easy. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks, where it's time to get this roulette wheel spinning. Let's get it. Okay. Question one is from Scotty Forrester on Insta. He says, Adrian or Carius. Dean, you first.
2: Jesus, they've both already been mentioned at the top of the show.
1: Adrian's not that bad yet, is he? I mean, let's not forget the, the way that Carrius uh, hit the depths he did at Liverpool. I mean, it was pretty bad. It he was concussed. Was, yeah, no, there was, there, was, there was other issues going on with Carrius. It wasn't just that one game. Um, I would pick Adrian, to be honest. Sam? Sounds weird to say. I can't believe I'm picking him for anything, but I am actually picking him. Um I'd take Kelleher. Yeah, I mean that's not an option, unfortunately. (laughs) Much as I love
0: Queen and Kelleher.
1: (laughs) Um oh
2: man. Adrian, I guess. Adrian, yeah. I mean, Dean, you're right. It wasn't just, it wasn't just the the concussed final for Carries, was it? It was the consistent punches back into danger that led to shots on goal. It was the drops. I mean, I know Adrian's not perfect in any of these areas either. What I think we need to see from Liverpool really is the defence and the midfield like need to be aware of the fact that Adrian is not Alisson and they shouldn't be playing passes to him in situations that they would play the same yeah. pass to Alisson. They should just, forgive me for a better word, just lump it like you have to play to your advantages and you have to understand what your weaknesses are. And Adrian has actually been put in some pretty bad scenarios because his teammates refused to see him as something different to Allison. So I stick with Adrian and I'd ask the defense to stop giving him passes to play out from
0: the back from just hit it down the line. Yeah. Adrian's going to win this one three nil, but not for the reason you might expect. Um, but I have to pay loyalty to him because he was born and raised in Heliopolis and, um, and of course, thus is a Bettis legend, and and must be given due credit for his upbringing. So it's uh, three out of three for Adrian San Miguel de Castillo. Um, <laughs> well done. It's the only thing he's winning this week. Although he probably had a decent shout of melon of the week until he was usurped by uh, by Harry McCoy. So so that's good. He's at least he's got out of that one. Okay. The second question is from Kieran Barker. He says with Manchester United's current form and then been linked to Pochettino, how many of this current squad do you think fits his philosophy? Sam, this one for you. I mean, you obviously have not worked with, but you've seen Pochettino in your role as a, a tactics writer at Southampton. So you you've got to probably more attuned to his philosophy than most. I mean, yeah, sure. That and, and Tottenham. I mean, there was, some, there was some clear
2: stylistic similarities between the two teams and um, I, mean, I know that he was renowned for playing sort of like glossy possession football, but one thing that he he did and o- Ole Gunnar Solskjaer absolutely has not done is stuff your midfield with patrolling powerful presences, which can cover for those fullbacks when they push forward. So when Luke Shaw, who was obviously at United, he used to push forward for Southampton on the left and Nathaniel Klein pushed forward on the right. And then again, at Tottenham, you've got Carl Walker and Danny Rose in their peak form, both bombing forward. What Pochettino deployed was essentially Wanyama and Schneiderlin or Wanyama and Dembele to cover those gaps and to help the centre-mids and to make sure that you weren't just counter-attackable the entire time down the flanks. And so Matic doesn't fit. Fred doesn't fit. Luke Shaw does. Aaron wan doesn't. Like, oh my God, how many, like, what has he got? He's got some good pressing midfielders. He's got Bruno Fernandes and he's got Rashford. Rashford would be fantastic. He'd be the new Jay Rodriguez of, the, of, the, of, uh, of Old traffic. Something he's always dreamed of, I assume. Yeah, <laughs> the, new Jay, the new Jay Rodriguez. I think he'd absolutely love Cavani. Bruno Cavani, Luke Shaw, redemption. But really, I'm running out here. I don't think there are that many. There, there's a lot of players in the United front line that lack the discipline um, or, the, or the profile and the midfield doesn't work at all. At all and the center backs wouldn't be comfortable in that system either. So yeah, about four players. Yeah, it's it's,
0: it's not pretty, is it? Yeah. I mean, Butch is a little bit more able to to manipulate his squads a bit and you'd imagine that hopefully in Wambasaki he'd see that the talent was there to be able to not play a flying fullback and be able to shift things around a little bit more. Um, yeah so I actually, think is... Donny,
1: van, Donny van de Beek would, would work really well actually just to add him into the pile as well
0: that's five Dean can you, you give me higher than five
1: no I can't but what I can say is that at least he would have a plan for this group of players whereas Solskjaer I have no idea what Man United's style of players right now I thought I did after after Project Restart Man United were flying and you could see like what was working for them and it seemed like okay they've had a break and now Solskjaer's really come up with a way to get them flying and then they all tempered out toward, as the season ended and I don't know what they're doing I don't know what they're doing and so all I would say is that he can't do any worse than this and they should probably <laughs> go for it. Like, I know I, know I keep saying, like, Man United like aren't thinking of getting rid of Solskjaer and they're not. Like, that, I said it earlier in this show that, you know, managers should be given time to work on a project. Um, you know, things do turn around. Uh, this is one I'm not sure it's going to turn around, I've got to admit.
2: I mean, Dino, you you've been saying for, you, said, you told us in January, like, you know, they're not sacking Solskjaer. They're not sacking him. Like you were adamant about that and you were right. We're, we're sitting here, you know, 10 months later and he's he's still there. They're
1: still but not. That, yeah. But
2: that means that Solskjaer has had like two years at the helm. And you're just looking in that across those two years, he's had some really good streaks. He's had some really bad streaks. And you're just looking for the evidence there to say that he should be there ahead of Pochettino. And I'm sorry, the evidence is not there. It's never been there, but it's now becoming abundantly clear. And it's Mourinho. now that you need to start making that decision.
1: Mourinho loved that win over United, especially because he he's offended that he lost his job at Man United and they went with Solskjaer. Like he sees that as a real slant on his on his profession. Um, and fair enough, to be honest, because Solskjaer hasn't done a lot apart from be a club legend to, to get that job. Uh, and Jose Mourinho is a better coach. And I think I don't think he really said it, um, but. I'm surprised he didn't, like, do a dance in front of Solskjaer um, as the sixth goal went in, because
0: <laughs> it,
1: it, it, that's how
0: he was feeling, you can be absolutely sure. Yeah, I mean, one happy man. And a happy man right now is me, because I get to do this. Woo! It's the nonsense siren. And that means Sam Taz, over to you.
2: Yeah, it's time for the nonsense ranking. It's a simple one this week, boys. It is the Premier League table because that is a natural ranking of 20 teams, one to 20. And I'll tell you what, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, this table I'm looking at right now. We saw on Sky Sports on deadline day, Harry Redknapp said that he thinks the table is starting to take shape. Well, Harry, is it? Because Everton are top and Villa are second, right? So that's a bit strange. Liverpool are in fifth outside the Champions League spots. Wolves are 13th. Man City are fourteenth, United are sixteenth, and have a minus six goal difference. This is not the table taking shape, my friend. The only thing that suits here is that Fulham are bottom. That's ah, the only. That's the is. only bit that makes sense, boys. There Because the rest of it is ridiculous, and to me, it looks like
0: complete and utter nonsense. That is nonsense because Fulham are only one point off safety, <laughs> <laughs> and that and that's the big news. Look, I mean, all the biggest teams in the country are on conceded eleven goals. Your Man Uniteds. Your mm. Liverpool's, your Fulham's, right? All <laughs> the big teams have conceded eleven goals, and that's that's where the true state of play lies. Yeah, Man City three games with a minus goal difference. This, se-
2: this season is off its head. Yeah, yeah
0: everything's a bit off its head, isn't it? And it, and maybe this is the fertile ground for someone nuts to win the cha- uh, to win the Premier League again. Yeah, like yeah. The, you know, if we're not going to see fans back in stadiums, especially not the whole way through and there's been some really interesting things on the, on the internet this week about why players play differently when fans are there and why defenders are actually looking a lot more suspect and why heads go down a little bit easier because there's no one there to, to kind of prove your worth to. If, if the fans aren't in the stadium, they're kind of invisible, right? They're, much as it's easy to say, oh, we're doing this for the fans at home, whatever, if you can't hear and feel them, it must be so hard to, to push yourself on when you're 2-0 down to try and get back in a game or, or to, you know, to worry about everything to the exact moment that you would be worrying about it in front of 50,000 people. And I think that's why we're seeing so many weird things going on because I think whilst people are more likely to try stuff, and try things that would get them ridicule in a full stadium, they're also willing, you know, those things are coming off a little bit more because defenders, I think, are like 5% more switched off than they would be, or just a little bit less on edge. And that edge actually helps to fuel your concentration. Uh, And that's where I think we are. I was listening to uh, the Anfield rap yesterday and they, they came up with a really good point. And I
2: think bears repeating just cause it's interesting. And it's like, they've noticed that certain games are getting stuck in particular grooves and nothing can shake them out of it. So like for Liverpool Villa, which is the one they were talking about Villa did the same thing. 20 times split Liverpool open 20 times recorded 18 shots on goal and scored seven. Like if for fans were in the ground, Something would have changed. That dynamic would have been shifted. Something different happens. The fans shake you out of it. The, it. the game got stuck in like a repeated cycle and nothing was there to change the situation. And I think you can probably say the same thing about when Southampton lost 5-1 to Tottenham and the whole second half Kane passed Son Sonny min in behind and he scored four goals. And it was like, guys, they're doing the same thing over and over again and no one is reacting and they were saying, look, behind closed doors, these games are getting stuck in cycles. And I thought it was a really interesting point because I think the evidence is there.
0: Yeah, no, it's um, it's a very valid point uh, from our friends over at the RAP. And uh, I'm sure they were hurting after that result, but it, it makes sense. Those grooves, those ruts uh, are becoming more entrenched. Well, that's pretty much it from us this week. And I suppose it's probably time to circle round to, to what we said at the start. The next week will be the last ever episode of BR Football Ranks. Now, that sounds dreadfully sad um it sounds it sounds very upsetting and it is sad it's the end of an era for us three but it won't be the end of us we are going to continue with with the podcast where that will be just right now is is a little bit up in the air but we will have news for you next week uh, as to where exactly we're going to be following on the new chapter of the rank squad and and where we're taking this whole community to a a new place to tell the stories that we want to tell and and really get into a a groove of, of giving you more content giving you more from us and giving you the stuff that we want to do away from all other factors and all of the uh, limiting features that we've had to put on us before. So there's plenty to be excited about. We've got loads and loads in the pipeline and we've got all of it for you next week. So make sure you're tuned in uh, make sure you're following all of us on socials, you know, at rank squad on Twitter is our new Twitter handle in there. We're working on a weird little age gate that's been put in place. So if that's holding you back, then don't worry about it. We are getting it sorted. Uh, It's just taking its sweet time. But if you go and follow us over at rank squad, all of the latest news and bits and bobs will be on there and we'll have news for you next week. All this left for me to do is say thank you very much to Mr. Dean Jones.
1: Well, I'll see you next week for the farewell, mate. See you soon.
0: Indeed. Thank you very much, Mr. Sam Tye yeah cheers mate looking forward to the
2: greatest hits episode next week it's and uh, some, inf- inf- some information on where we're going next because i'll be honest with you guys i didn't know any of this jack has just dropped a huge bomb on me am <laughs> i actually part of the new era or have i been
0: dropped what's going on no, oh, Wrangler, uh, you're, no we're, okay. uh, we're we're renew we're questioning your position <laughs> We're we're going to see if any we're open auditions yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But um, but yeah, no, we're uh, we're all very excited about we'll where survive, we're going. Boys, we'll survive. We will. It really is Rags FC. We'll see you next week. i been Jack Collins. Thanks for listening, and keep an eye on all these bits. See you later. And take care.